Shall we begin? everybody welcome back to a brand new episode of the frankly francisco podcast today's guest he is a man that needs very few introductions he is all over the place he is on tv uh he is meeting with celebrities um you know rubbing elbows with selena gomez president biden uh he is an advocate uh for a subject that is very near and dear to me which is mental health um, I, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but September is uh, Suicide Prevention Month. Um, I'd like to introduce everybody to Zane. How are we doing today, Zane? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. I'm glad to have you on the show. Tell my audience a little bit about yourself. Let them know what you do and you know the causes that you fight for. Yeah, my name is Zane Landon. I am, my origins come from California, and I'm actually living in Washington, D.C. now. I just got a my first entry-level job kind of a while ago. <laughs> I keep saying that, but I got it back in November. So I graduated with my Bachelor of Science in Communication last um, May, not this one, but the last one before. Um, and I'm working at National Geographic Society, which has been really exciting. I've been doing internal communications, which is all about, you know, messages that are about, um, that impact staff members that are all about you know, um, issues that are inside the society rather than issues that are out. Um, so I work with a lot of staff members, making sure that a lot of changes and updates at the organizational level are going to be communicated with staff members. So that's a very exciting job. And I am incredibly passionate about mental health. Uh, as you mentioned, I met the president of the United States through the Mental Health Youth Action Forum, which was probably the biggest opportunity I've had in my life. I was going to say with mental health, probably in general, <laughs> um, just to be exclusively invited to the White House and just kind of speak and be near the president of the United States is a huge honor and to, you know, see such a, you know, to see like the administration care about mental health in that way is a very exciting thing to see. Well, we know mental health is, is treated a lot differently than it was uh, previous back, you know, back in times where they would just, you know, throw you in a sanitarium and call it a day and, and wouldn't, you know, give you the treatment that you needed when you needed it. Now the culture has shifted People are taking mental health uh, serious, more seriously. I mean, in sports, you have athletes who typically don't come out if they have a mental health issue or being more open about it because they're not being, uh, you know, shamed for it. Um, what was your turning point for you to get into um, being an activist for this and, and you know, fighting for this cause? Yeah, and I think that there's a there is a big difference between, you know, having the lived experience and being an advocate. You can be both. You can definitely be both, but you can also um, separately have each one. I, I am both. So I always had the lived experience of, you know, having to manage my mental health from a very young age. And, you know, it is different. You know, I, I understand that every single one of us has mental health, but when you have a decline in your mental health or you have a mental health condition that was that's like diagnosable, it's a very different experience. And so I felt the effects very young when I was basically like five or six. Um, and so my entire life, I've always known having to manage my emotions, I think a lot more than a lot of people around me, or I just didn't know because people weren't talking about it. I'd probably be really surprised how many people did have trouble with their emotions and managing them. But it was, you know, it was difficult. But the turning point, I didn't become an advocate until... Um, I was in like my university and I was in my third year and I was just, 
having like a really hard time, probably the, like the hardest time in my life. And so I was really, unfortunately, engaging in self-harm, thinking about suicide a lot, more so than I ever had before, because I thought about it before. Like it's it's crossed my mind. That probably doesn't sound like it's like a normal experience, but it was for me. And I think a lot of people actually experience them. I think a lot of people have like the idea of thinking about suicide. I think it comes in your mind. Um, so I was a little used to it. It's it's not a good feeling at all, but I know a lot of people that have experienced it and thought about it. And so, um, but that was different though, because I was, I was experiencing it and thinking about it all the time, probably like every other day. And so it was a very troubling and scary time. And I decided that, you know, I just needed to just take care of myself. And I decided to withdraw from the semester. Um, and I was a little worrisome because the semester was almost over, but I was doing really bad emotionally, physically, and I was kind of just going down a steep slope, declining really badly. And so I thought that was the best decision for me. And so sometimes it feels like we have to make drastic decisions like that, and you don't know what the outcome is going to be, but sometimes you're going to come out even better when you actually intentionally take care of yourself, even if it feels like it's it's delaying you from something, which it was going to delay me from graduation on time, but I think being alive in here was a lot more important than getting my degree a semester sooner. I mean, I'm a bit older than you, so I mean, I can tell you with with true certainty that when I was younger, I, I tried it three times, three separate times. I I I attempted. One time they had to pump my stomach. Um, the other time I didn't cut deep enough. So trust me, I, I've been there. I've done that. And sometimes when you're you feel like you have no other choice, we think that we're doing somebody a service by you know deleting ourselves. Like, but we don't sometimes understand that it impacts everybody around us regardless whether we think or not, there are people who care about what happens to you. At the time, we just don't see that. That's not our focus. Our focus is to make the pain stop. Our focus is to make all this sorrow and all this hurt go away. But, you know, now it's a bit different. Now people can get help, but still, people are still out there self-deleting themselves because they still feel like they're they're in the dark. And when you feel like you're in the dark, man, and you can't find your way around, you only see one way out. And no matter how much help is out there, the, I think the first step really comes in. The person themselves has to understand, listen, I, I need to take that first step. And sometimes that can be a little bit difficult for people. No, and I also think it's it's still a clear indication that we still have a lot more work to do when it comes to mental health and making sure that we have more conversations, providing resources, especially for kids. I understand that when you are trying to teach sensitive topics to kids, like you're going on pretty sensitive territory but i think that kids really do, do need to know about the signs of suicide and where they need to go because unfortunately we can say that we don't want to we don't want to educate kids on this because we don't want to put this idea in their head we don't want them to have to worry about this stuff but unfortunately they're going to and someone that is going to cross paths with these suicidal thoughts would be so much better off if they learned a little bit sooner what this stuff meant instead of having to figure out by themselves why do i feel this way why do I feel scattered? Why do I want to end my life? And then you learn, you'll have to resort to other things. Learn online, look for resources by yourself. And it's just so much harder. Because I think if you also, if you're learning in a classroom environment about these things from a proper, you know, educational source, you're also building community that way. And I think when you do that, you are increasing trust and visibility and vulnerability to that, <laughs> you know, you're not navigating it by yourself. Even if you feel like you're alone, you like, we know about this together and I can still go to my teacher or anyone, if I can't go to that, I can't resort to anyone like that in my home. This is another option for me to go to if I ever need that 
that helped rather than trying to find something online where you can that's why i think it's scarier i think it's i think it's probably better to teach there than someone going online and being radicalized or being taken advantage of of their vulnerabilities because they were taught in an educational space that's better than resorting to certain online spaces because you don't know where you can end up in the dark corners of the internet See, but a lot of these kids now, what causes these kids to teeter and tip over the edge is social media. Yeah. It's it's dealing with uh, these social media platforms. Cyberbullying is is ridiculous. Man, these people will, I mean, they they beat these kids down mentally in a way that I've never seen before. Yeah. They will, I mean, on every level, they not. It's just not them just being a cyberbullying. I mean, you you're they're telling kids to end themselves. They're telling kids to self delete. It is, it's atrocious, man. And then, you know, now they're taking responsibility for these people. These people are, are now being held accountable that are telling these kids to do this stuff. And it wasn't like that before. I think the internet, it cuts both ways. It's great. It's a great resource for us to find help. But at the same time, man, it can be devastating for some of these kids that were like that one 13 year old kid that you know, he, he, he self-deleted because the, he was just getting mercilessly cyber bullied over his mom, you know, being an only fans, like, it's crazy. It's crazy. Kids are cruel, man. And it's it, kids have always been cruel, but now with the internet, it's taken it to a level that, you know, it's it's far, far, far beyond what we've ever seen. Not even just kids. Like I will acknowledge that there are kids who are cyber bullies, but you know, it's it's another extreme when I see parents doing that. Or I see adults engaging in this, or they're doing something for the trends or TikTok or the clicks, and they're engaging in harmful behavior towards adults, towards kids, or even when parents put their kids on TikTok for views and clicks. And you don't even know what you're doing to your child's development by putting them on social media. And I, I see that. I'll see like, I even see like parents and <laughs> I see parents make TikToks with their kids and then they'll address hate in their videos. I'm like, if you're going to address hate, why is your kid on TikTok? Like, I think that if your kid is really getting hate on TikTok, take them off immediately. Like, they should not be around that. And they should not knowingly know that they're getting hate either when they're probably like eight to 14 years old. I don't know why you're putting them on TikTok. I think that we really need to monitor like kids' social media consumption and also how much, you know, um, how much kids are on social media. Because, you know, what people don't know is, you know, when kids put their faces online, yes, people take those pictures and they put them on dark places of the internet for people who want that kind of content, which is, and even if it's a wholesome picture or a selfie of someone, people will use that against them um, for, you know, terrible ways. Yeah, I don't allow my, I have five children. I don't allow my kids on social media. I just don't. My oldest is 16 years old. He has a flip phone. He has a flip phone for a reason because of the stuff that they are taught in school, not by teachers, but by other kids who have access to that. My kids don't need, I need access. What does my son need to be on TikTok for? I I can barely you know stand to be on TikTok with all the all the stuff that's on there because it's just some of the stuff is just mind blowing how ignorant and you know just these trends that go on that are hurting these kids and in several ways these parents who are putting themselves out there and embarrassing their own children but they like you said they do it for the clicks and they do it for the dollars because there's money there's money involved and in today's society, if you don't have your 15 minutes of fame, then who are you? This is how a lot of people think. And I think it's affecting the young the young youth, the generation out here, because they feel like they have to be seen in order for them to feel uh, validated in who they are, which to me, I think it creates a, a larger issue at hand. It does create a larger issue. And I also think that it really makes these kids dependent on external validation. And in the, in the process, they're going to lose 
having to introspect and find that inner validation themselves because you can only rely on external validation for so long. And I have a problem with that too. You know, um, sometimes I feel really down and I try to get external validation, but then the day I have to realize that, you know, that can only help me survive for so long. And if I really want to be on a, a path of self-love, I cannot rely on what other people say. I think it's a good thing though. They can help you get there. But if you're relying on it, that's a different story. And then all of a sudden you're losing that self-confidence. And then when you don't have validation from people or family, it's like you lost your meaning. You lost your value when you had it the whole time. You just had to realize it yourself. Um, and that's why you see like a lot of trends with social media, like social media consumption. Like there are companies that engage in harmful algorithms that do increase like eating disorders or mental health conditions. And that's proven. That's why there are organizations that are trying to even just address some of the algorithms because it's like it's feeding kids terrible content based on what they're viewing. So it's unfortunate. So for me, I know exactly what you're talking about because my algorithm on on IG and on TikTok, especially on IG, it's all positive stuff because that's all I look up, positive yeah. quotes, motivation. So all the videos that come up, it's all positive quotes. It's all positivity about making it, about doing it. It's nothing negative. But that's because I set the tone for that and algorithm picked up on that and started feeding into that. Like you said, a lot of these kids are, are looking into algorithms where... You know, it's telling them that you're not good enough or you're not skinny enough. You know, you're too fat. Your self-image is this and, th and this is that. I mean, these kids, are, their minds are still being shaped. People don't understand that. An eight-year-old is not going to think the same at 12 years old than they would at eight years old. A 16-year-old is not going to think the same that a 12-year-old did. Right. But when you feed a kid enough negativity over the years, that's what they're going to be. They're just going to be a, wa a walking negative zone. They're, they're going to exude anger. They're going to exude resentment. Positivity is the best thing you can give a child growing up. There's tough love, but then there's you degrading your kid every chance you get, which some of these parents do do. Yeah, and the unfortunate thing is, you know, those kids are going to carry those kids are going to carry a lot of trauma. It's going to take a lot to rewire their brain to not think so negatively or have such terrible self esteem issues. Yeah, I tell my kids all the time, I, they range. My oldest is 16, my twins are 14, my daughter just turned 10, my youngest is uh, eight years old. So I got them all in all age, age range. My 14-year-old has a girlfriend, which kind of blew my mind because I didn't I didn't know about it. My wife had to tell me because, you know, as the dad, you know, I'm the disciplinarian. I'm the guy who sets the rules in the house. So mom's the nurturer, so they're going to tell mom things that they don't tell me. So sometimes I feel like I'm left out of the loop. My son had a friend that hasn't uh, that they haven't heard from in a week. They haven't heard from him because I guess he was down because of something that was happening with his girlfriend. I didn't know about this. My son didn't tell me about this. He told my wife, and my wife told him, "You need to tell someone because we need to make sure that somebody goes to make sure this kid is okay." You haven't heard from him in a week. That should, a light bulb should have clicked on in your head that yeah. this kid might need some help. But that's the problem. These kids don't think that way because they feel that they if they call somebody on him they're snitching on him or you know what i mean they're they're writing them out for for trying to find them help and i think that mentality has to go it does i was actually in a situation like that um even before i was an advocate i believe i was in high school and i did have a friend reach out that he said he was going to end everything i didn't know what to do mostly because he was in a completely different state i was in california this person was in Florida and I didn't know what to do. I just had to be smart. And I actually called the police and I was like, I know he's from Tampa. I know he's from this place. I don't know. Here's his Facebook. That's it. And they were able to go there and kind of help him. I don't really know the outcome 
um well the outcome was he you know he didn't do that but you know he was grateful for it and so sometimes you just kind of have to get over yourself get over the ego that you have that you know you're going to be blamed for being a snitch or you're going to get in trouble you won't you actually could be saving someone's life um and this minor inconvenience that you might think you have which you don't like it's it's a very needed thing for you to reach out and get help for someone um i think you'd rather them here than you know think that you're a snitch you know so for you, Zane, what is the ultimate goal? What is the end game for you when it comes to mental health? What is the end game for you long term? What are you looking to do? Are you trying to build your own foundation to lead? Are you trying to work for one of these these major mental health foundations to help you know bring a different voice uh, of activism to it? What is your what is your end game with all this? Well, as you know, I'm really passionate about communication. As I have my degree in communication, I would love to get a master's in industrial organizational psychology or my MBA. Um, and I would love to work for one of these mental health organizations. Um, and my my dream, which is a while from now, <laughs> is I would love to serve in the C-suite, which means I would either be like a chief um, operations or a chief communications officer or CEO. That's, but I would definitely love to be in one of these positions. And even one of the organizations had like chief advocacy officer, which mm-hmm. <laughs> that sounds really exciting. Like this. So what's cool is like, we're seeing a lot more different chief level roles coming up. Because I think that like we're seeing that there is a much more needed, much more needed areas and organizations for chief level leadership rather than just you know the C- the COO, even a CCO. Like people, I tell people that and they're like, "What is that?" I'm like, "Chief communications officer." I understand you don't know because there's not enough, um, and a lot of organizations still don't have that as chief level. But like where I work, there's chief storytelling officer. There's like just so many interesting positions that are you know at C-suite level now, and I know I have a long way to go with that, but I want to be able to you know, combine my passions for mental health and communication in a role where I can do that. And I think a lot of people question that because a lot of people that I know that go into mental health advocacy, they have a lot of the mental health background. They have, I mean, what I mean by that is the science. They have the science or they have the psychology degrees or the policy degrees. And so it's interesting where I fit because sometimes I feel like I don't necessarily have the traditional route that a lot of mental health folks, people going into the industry have. So for me, it's like, but this is an interesting angle and this is the take that we need because if we're going to implement policies, if we're going to make structural changes for mental health in America or any country, how do we do that without communicating? Like we need to make sure that we have a strong foundation of strategic communications so people are aware of the resources. Because I see a lot of mental health organizations do amazing work. People don't know about the changes that are happening. People don't know about the resources. So how do we make sure that this communication is widespread enough that people are knowing that these organizations do work, especially in areas that, you know, where people have lower socioeconomic status, where sometimes these organizations don't target, which is unfortunate because that's what some of these organizations are to target for, but the, their messages are not getting to where it's supposed to. Um, and so I think, you know, communication and mental health is so important so we can actually make sure that these resources reach places that they need to through communication, if that makes sense. So, I mean, you're in the perfect place, the perfect district. You're in D.C. Uh, you're in one of the places where you have your own politicians, your own politics. Is mm-hmm. that maybe somewhere where you might want to pivot um, to politics, where you can actually have a, a better impact with your voice being heard on these kind of subjects? We will see. Uh, I can't answer anything yet, but I'm going to be doing a certain policy opportunity. Um, and I'm going to be working with politicians and government officials about mental health more because I feel like that was one thing that was lacking from my advocacy which was working with more government officials or politicians on how we can actually um, you know make the changes that are necessary for mental health in this country and what I do love about mental health 
um i don't know if people know this but mental health is still like one of the last like um nonpartisan issues which i'm very happy about because i i do see that i see democrats that are fighting for mental health i see republicans fighting for mental health and i will see independents fighting for it it's just i like that it is an issue that is being taken seriously on many sides um unfortunately you know just the media and certain politicians will use it for their own political gain but i like that across the board i see a lot of diverse politicians fighting for mental health collectively, which is a nice thing to see. Yeah, I'm neither Republican or Democrat. I, I hold views on both sides. Like, I mean, I have, I'm a, I'm a free thinker. I think on my own. I, I feel how I feel. Um, you know, I, I don't agree with every policy that, that they put out there, just like everybody else should. You shouldn't be a sheep to what's going on out here. But you you are trying to find a connection out here where you're really passionate about what you're doing. And mental health, to me, is is a very important thing because this is our generation, this is the future. Our kids need to be able to be mentally strong moving forward or this country is done for. We can't, well, we can't, you know, continue to ball up in the corner because we're having a bad day. That's just, we have to be able to learn how to cope. I think finding the right coping mechanisms is going to be the key for a lot of these kids to come out of their shells, to be able to feel mentally strong enough and have the good support system that they need to be able to do what you're doing. You're going to school, you got your degree, you're working on, you want to work on your master's, you want to get in the pot. You are driven. You are driven. And I think a lot of these kids, the younger, I'm talking about the younger generation, kids in there and they're still in their teens are not as driven. They're not as hungry to make something in themselves. And I have to, you know, drill it in my son's head that it's not like when I was 16, 17 years, I was out of my house at 16. I was working. I had a job. These kids can't, are not going to be able to afford their own place. There's charging $1,700, $1,800 for one bedroom. That's, you know, what kind of stress that puts on, are going to put on these kids. These kids are going to feel like, they can't do anything. From what I'm understanding, these, uh, what they call them, zillennials, the zillennials now are are stressed out, out of their mind. They don't want to, they don't want to buy a house. They just rather rent. They, yeah. you know, they don't want to do a lot of the things that, you know, me as, oh, I'm, I'll be 44 on Saturday. Most people don't want to do a lot of the things that I grew up traditionally doing. I'm a traditional, I'm a traditional guy, you know, I'm married, you know, took on the responsibility to take care of my family. That's just me. Those are the values I grew up with. These kids don't have those same values, which is okay. You don't have to have those values to be mentally strong, but there has to be something for these this younger generation to cling on to for hope. Right now, there is nothing. I just uh, these kids feel like there's nothing out there for them. Yeah, I also think that, in my opinion, you know, I want storytelling to move more in a positive direction because I think that it it's been bombarded by such negative energy and negative news for so long. I understand that it's important to see. I think the issue is nowadays is that since social media is at the forefront of everything, you see everything. Um, and so you see every terrible thing that happens. And if the algorithm does feed that, you're you're not seeing any, you're not seeing any positive people in the world when there's so many. Now I know so many people that say the world is just a terrible place. And I'm like, how different is the world from 20 years ago? I understand that people have this idea that the past, the world was so much better. I don't think so. I think that the world is, has always had problems um, and we're we're just going into new challenges, but these new challenges are putting in people's head that what they see, because they see it so much now that you see so much of the negativity and the negativity sells that, like you said, it's like they've lost hope and lost motivation because the world's going to end. The world's going to end the climate change. The world's going to end the politicians. The world's going to end from this war. All this stuff that I'm seeing all the time, I feel like there's a lot of these are valid things, but I think it's fear-mongered in some of these children's minds. Um, I'm not saying these issues aren't important. They are. But like to like say the world's going to end in five years and all this stuff, like how could how can children deal with that? 
if they're being fed some of these these messages rather than and i understand you you want to like inspire people and make change but i don't think that's the way to do it i think that's just going to actually cause a lot of fear um and that's where you might get some extreme activism that actually isn't going to be helping the cause as much as they think it would Listen, I grew up in the 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s, and now the 20s. Let me tell you something. The world is the same. The only difference is a lot of the stuff that was done in the dark now is coming to light because mm. of social media. Yeah. Half these basketball players, these football players, if they were doing the stuff that they were doing in the 80s, like Magic Johnson was, and it can, and he was doing that now, he'd be canceled. He'd be, he'd be out of the NBA right now. None of this stuff has changed. Everything is still, everything is 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 pretty much how it was. It's just more open. It's just more open. You still had racists. You still had the LBG community. You still had activism. It's just on a grander scale now. It's on a grander scale now. It's more open. It's more out there. But it, it, that hasn't changed. There have always been activism. There's yeah. There's always been people out there fighting for injustice. But now the platform is such where anybody can be on a platform, anybody can then, then come up and, you know, speak up about how this and how that is affecting them. Everybody has a voice. And I mean, that's good and bad because sometimes some of these people should have the mic taken away from them. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Not everybody should be on the microphone, but at the same time, yeah. that's their freedom. That's, that's why, you know, the U S is the U S because it gives you the ability to talk. Some of the stuff that people talk in other countries, they'd be either deleted or they'd be put in prison for the rest of their lives. We have that freedom of speech here. We have it for a reason. Now, can certain speech be viewed as dangerous? Yes, but that depends on who whose opinion that is um, and whose opinion is... Some opinions are more valued than others, it, it, but it, it's true. It may not be right, but it's true. Some opinions are valued more than other people's opinions. But I think we all have the ability to do good things, but we also have the ability to do evil, just grotesque things. And throughout the years, it's shown that people are capable of doing both. Yeah. Well, again, always the the quote with great power comes great responsibility. And in my opinion, I think that I think it's great that people can have their own platforms. They can find their voice through social media and they can spread good messages. Unfortunately, that's why we see a lot of misinformation, because if anyone can have a platform and any opinion and any opinion is valid that has a platform, you can have anyone that can just spread tons of misinformation or tons of hate. And it's very difficult to monitor that. And some of these social media companies won't do that. I'll see some social media companies ban people. I'm like, why did you ban them when you have people inciting hate and you keep them on your platform too? Like what, I don't know what's going on with that. And so it's very interesting what these social media platforms, what their priorities are, how to make it more of a safe space for people, especially kids. Um, Cause unfortunately we can say that kids shouldn't be on social media, but they're going to be. Um, and I think that, that that means these companies need to monitor their content a lot more because kids are on it. Yeah, but I think it all comes down. These companies are not, you know, are not charities. They're they're there to make a profit. And right. what it is is you have these lobbyists, and that's what it is. These are lobbyists that are, you know, lobbying these these social media companies, telling them, listen, I'll give you X amount of uh, ad dollars if you pump this uh, into the algorithm and you show this to kids and you show that to kids. It's all about dollars at the end of the day. It's not affecting us. It's not affecting the social media company because they're they're getting rich off of it. People care more about lining their pockets than they do actually about how these kids are going to turn out. Because, but people don't realize our birth rate is lowered tremendously. We're not having kids at a rate that we used to. So, mm -hmm. you know, when we have these issues and, and kids are self deleting and adults are self deleting, you're not helping the population. This is not helping us continue to grow as a country. 
You know what I mean? You know, I'm his, I'm Puerto Rican, I'm Hispanic, and you, uh, eventually in the next few years, we're going to be the majority. A lot of people yeah. don't realize that. We're going to be the majority. Yeah. And we we have to continue to, you know, be around the pump dollars into the economy. We're one of the biggest, if not the biggest, spenders and, uh, and contributors uh, to the economy there is. You know what I mean? So mental health is a big problem in our community. It's a big problem in our community. Uh, that still hasn't been because we're we grew up in an era where it's all about macho. You you have to show no no emotion. I grew up with no emotion. I was taught not to be too emotional. You know what I mean? My mom wasn't uh, really emotional, but that's the way she grew up. You, you know, we we wasn't supposed to show our emotions and show the side. So only person I've really cried in front of, honestly, to be honest with you, is my wife. I've broken down a couple of times, like when my mom passed. You know, I break down at work. But it's it's a big problem in our community, and I think it needs to it needs to be answered, man. It needs something has to be done where we can tell our kids it's okay to cry, man. It's okay to show your emotions. You're not weak. You're actually very strong by doing what you're doing. Yeah, I think it all comes down to you know, of course, the bigger message that society puts out in media and TV and like showing how emotions are normal and good for you, but also is a is a huge huge influence comes from families, um, and I hope that. The more that you see content on television and just run through society that emotions are okay, that, you know, kids learn that. It's a hard thing to unlearn. As I mentioned, it's hard to rewire your brain that emotions are okay, you know, and you have every right to express them. And you shouldn't have to censor um, or, you know, filter how you feel because you might think you appear as weak. When I actually think that if you're going to show your emotions, you appear stronger because then if you deal with your emotions and manage them, you can be stronger the next day for your family rather than continually be frustrated and carrying it all the time. Rather than addressing it, you're always going to have those emotions latched onto you for years, for days, for months, rather than dealing with it. And it doesn't mean it's going to go away, but I think you have that support and you, you might feel better and stronger to actually take care of your family better. Yeah, I 100% agree. Um, this has been a very uh, insightful conversation. I'm glad we got to have it. Uh, you know, yeah. sometimes I think that's what's missing is is being able to have a civil conversation. You don't always have to agree to get along. You just don't. I think if we have open dialogue and we're able to communicate, you know, clearly and not have to throw mud at each other while we're having the conversation, you can learn from each other. So Zane, tell me, do you have anything coming up, any events, anything that you want to put out to the to to my audience? Let them know uh, what what upcoming uh, actions and events that you have. Um, not a lot of events coming up. I'm I'm going to be speaking at an event um, next month at a conference, so I'm really excited about that. But a lot of it is just me speaking on podcasts, writing out blogs about mental health. I wrote one actually about you know how to explore intimacy with your partner without it always having to be sexual. Because I think sometimes people forget that and they lose this meaningful attraction relationship they have with someone. So anyway, so I do stuff like that. And I was actually on Jubilee recently. I know this is coming out two weeks later. So two weeks ago, I will say that <laughs> I was on Jubilee and that they're like a YouTube channel and they do these, yeah. it was called mm -hmm. Middle Ground. I was on one on liberal gays versus conservative gays. I came as a conservative. I'm not really open about that, but I really came as like a moderate. And even in the interview, I was like, I'm a little more of a moderate here and I'm just more of a right-leaning person. So like, I'm applying as a conservative, but I'm going to come as very open-minded because I actually don't even align with, you know, conservative or liberal, which is why I think a lot of people, I did get praised. I was like really middle ground, almost the most middle ground for some folks, which 
I really like because I was just there to question everything. I know some people came with strong opinions and I think we found middle ground at the end, but you know, some folks realized, some folks thought, you know, um, just there was one person that decided to spread drama and that was kind of what you're talking about, about it's, we can't agree. And that's it. And that's, that's, a, that's not a problem though. I think that, no, we can't agree on everything. That That's totally fine. Um, and I think that you kind of just have to withdraw your personal feelings because if someone doesn't agree with me, I could take it personal and say, well, that means you don't care about me as a XYZ person rather than no, 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 this is what they think. Um, and they still respect me. And at the end of the day, that's the most important thing. I'd rather us disagree and we, we respect each other then I cut off ties and I don't see you ever again or we don't talk ever again. How is that going to solve anything? How is that going to better our communities if we're not having conversations about what people really think? So it was a great conversation. I was very happy I was on it. The video has over a million views, which is like one of the biggest platforms I've been on. So it was a very fun experience. Um, and I, I understand what you're saying about being Hispanic because I'm half Hispanic. So um, I understand what it's like to grow up in kind of a Hispanic household. So so where can people find you? Uh, you can find me with just my name. <laughs> I know that some people have different um, handles. handles but my handle yeah. is my name. I want to make sure that when you look me up, you're going to find what I'm working on, what I'm doing, because uh, I want people to know about mental health and all these resources uh, and that it's accessible to you. You just have to kind of push yourself to reach out for help, which I get is a hard thing. But, you know, in the long run, it's better for you. And I really hope you can come to terms with that. So just look me up. I'm usually on Instagram, LinkedIn. Um, yeah. And you can just reach out about me for anything. Listen, I think you, you beam uh, and you shine with positivity in life. You, you are a person that can listen, actively listen. I mean, everybody has a little bit of self of, you know, unconscious bias about themselves. They can catch themselves, you know, thinking something that they shouldn't. But if you can catch yourself, you can learn from that. And you don't always have to jump to conclusions. And I get where you're coming from about being a conservative when it comes to some of your some of your views, because my mom was part of the LBG community. You know what I mean? I have my, uh, cousins that are part of the community. I have an uncle that's part of the community. So I'm well versed in that. I grew up in New York, New York City half of my life before going to Ohio. And Ohio has a huge Cleveland has a huge LBGQ community as well. So I understand where you're coming from. And then there, I, there is a divide between uh, conservative gays and liberal gays. And it's just it is what it is. They're going to have their different viewpoints. I think the older generations doesn't feel like the younger generations has any room to talk about certain things because the older generations fought for the younger generations to be able to do what they're doing now. And they, they, you know, and this is coming from people that I, that I know personally, family telling me this, they feel like the younger generations are taking things a bit too far with trying to cancel everybody for not saying the correct pronouns. But how are we supposed to know the pronouns if you're not telling us what we need to call you? You're going to get offended without you expressing to me what it is, what you know, what you want to be called. You can tell me what you want to be called and you can say what you want to say. It's like, for me, like I get offended. A lot of people don't want to be put in a box, right? They don't want to be labeled. They don't want to be put in a box. Where I get offended is, is when you, when they try to label all Hispanics and Latinos as Latinx, I take offense to that. Don't call me that. I'm not Latinx. You want to pronounce yourself as that? Don't box in the whole community. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like you you have that term and people start running with that term. Like uh, I don't know if you know a series on YouTube uh, called Pedal Like. They just went and they just ran with it, and everything was Latinx, Latinx, and they stopped it after a while because people in the comments were just bombarding them, saying, "Listen, you can't group everybody into that. 
Don't do that. And my job, they asked me the same thing. I was like, no, I don't want to be called that. Don't call me that. If the person wants to self-identify as that, I have no problem. You have every right in the world to do that. Whatever makes you happy, whatever's going to give you a sense of peace and a sense of, you know, mental stability, by all means, do that. But don't yeah. box people in. And I, that's what I like about you because you don't want people just to box you in and you don't want to box people in. You want to give them the, the opinion of self-thought. You want to let them feel and think on their own, but just not box you in and make you the same as everybody else. Yeah, which is how it should be. Like you shouldn't follow an ideology. You really shouldn't follow an ideology. You shouldn't say, oh, I'm going to vote. I'm going to vote right. I'm going to vote left. I, vote for the person. Vote for the one that you think is the best, not the one that is the only option on the side that you believe in. I think that we, you know, we should all be critical thinkers in that way. And what makes me happy about the backlash that Latinx got, not that I'm happy that I got backlash because I understand the purpose of it. I just, I, I like that there was backlash that you wanted to label all Hispanics or people who are Latin American as that. And it was like, it wasn't like their input wasn't even decided on. Like I saw that and I saw so many people who are Hispanic that were speaking out against it. And I was like, this is, this makes me, this kind of inspires me that the community really is fighting against them that they don't believe in. And the, they were fine with it. If you use it for yourself, you use it for yourself, but then people are going, no, everyone's got to be Latinx. Everyone has to be Latinx or however you want to say it. I have no problem with you using that. If it's more gender inclusive and you want to use it for yourself, use it for yourself. But if someone wants to identify as Hispanic um, and then people get backlash for that, oh, that's a, that, that came from like a, that's like a white term. You know, it came from European. It's like, well, if they identify that way, it's not your place to tell them how to identify. Right. That's not what we're here for. You know, if they want to identify as Hispanic and that's what they've known, they do it. That's how I, that's how I identify. I've always identified that way. Um, I remember even saying that I stopped. I was like, I'm, a, I'm Latin American because I didn't want to offend anyone. This is my identity. I don't care if it offends anyone. So, so. listen, <laughs> it has been a, a real joy to have you on the show. Um, I'm going to leave you with, I leave everybody, no matter what anybody tells you, if you found your purpose, live it. I appreciate you coming on the show. I look forward to having you on the show again, which we will schedule Ooh. something again to have you back on because it's a great conversation that we can keep it going. So thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you later.